Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Shadows. I'm Stuart Best. Where the paranormal is normal. Where that which you thought you knew, you didn't. And where the future can be known, if you know exactly where to look. Well, good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. And we got a special show tonight. We've got uh, Barry Rothman on, who's an expert in the Torah codes and uh, needs no introduction, basically, to our people listening because they know a lot about Barry as an expert in the Torah codes. And we have a special guest. We're going to go by the name only of Rebecca for security reasons. And we have Larry with us. So, hi, Rebecca. How are you? Hey, I'm just fine. Thank you. Hello to all your listeners. And hey, Barry. Okay. And uh, Barry, you're on yeah. still on, right? <laughs> yes. Larry? Uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> That's going to be quite a roundtable. Um, before we get rolling, I just wanted to say that in the very near future, we will be releasing a, uh, well, it's a faction book. It's semi-fiction. And it's called Earthfall, and uh, hopefully that'll be coming out from the publishers here fairly quickly. And it dovetails right into everything that we're going to be talking about tonight. And as most of you probably know, a lot of this stuff is so sensitive that you introduce it as fiction. And uh, when it's in reality, very factual. But we're dealing with a public that is very, very skeptical in some ways, and yet not in other ways. So it's going to be an interesting show. Uh, Barry, where do you want to start with this? Well, I think I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about uh, my guest and what the purpose of, the show, of uh, all of the, these efforts are, and then review a little bit about the Torah Code for those that don't know about it, and, and then kind of go from there. So first of all, the uh, purpose of this show tonight will be to forward um, the pressure on the government for disclosure. Uh, there's been a lot about UFOs in the news in the last three days uh, since the fellow had a last name of Grush uh, came forward and said that uh, the United States has uh, captured several um, UFOs. And we've had that, these things for up to 80 years. And um, they've been, we've been back engineering them for that long, so we know how they work, and I guess we know how to make them take us wherever the heck we want to go, pretty much. So a lot of people have been saying that it's a nice story, you need some hard evidence or some kind of evidence, something more than the stories. Um, and I'm going to get to uh, a little description of Rebecca in here because she's going to be, I think, Possibly one of the most important people uh, in the whole the whole story. Depends on what she says tonight. <laughs> I'm, with bated breath, I'm waiting to see exactly what she says. But let me uh, let me tell you a little bit about my uncle first, um, Eugene Rothman. Uh, my uncle passed away a number of years ago, but before he did, we had somebody over his apartment who worked at uh, the Kennedy Space Center, 
uh, he was a test launch director. His name was Stan Gross. And Stan, in my uncle's uh, kitchen back on December 24th, uh, would have been uh, 1997, told me that as part of his job, he was shown the Roswell spacecraft that we recovered supposedly in, in 1947. And uh, it kind of shocked me, <laughs> a little bit to say the least. He was not like, uh, you know, the bartender down the street. This guy was deciding when we launched our spacecraft and our astronauts in the orbit. And so I listened to the story for a little bit, called in my son as a witness, uh, my older son, who was an Air Force cadet at the time. He was uh, going to go into the Air Force's uh, second lieutenant, which uh, he did eventually. Not in the capacity we thought. He was supposed to go to Space Command, and he wound up uh, becoming a rabbi going in that way. Uh, and possibly because of what he heard uh, this night with, with Stan Gross. So um, also I called in my uncle's son, my, my cousin, and uh, it's the first cousin, for a witness. So Stan said that he had been shown the Roswell craft because he had a need to know. There were times these things would hang around outside of the Kennedy Space Center. By the way, I live in Cape Canaveral, so uh, when a rocket launches, especially if it's manned, and it goes off on pad 39A, all I have to do to see it launch from the ground is walk out my front door. And that's it. Take a couple steps to the left, and I can see pad 39A just fine from there. And we watch uh, you know, the astronauts go up. This is where the Apollo went up from, and this is where the new uh, um, SLS launches from. So the Artemis mission that takes uh, four astronauts to the moon uh, next year, God willing, uh, that will go from right, right out of our front door, literally. So anyway, um, he, he told us that uh, he had to make a final decision, and if these things were hanging around, you know, we didn't know what the purpose was. So he would cancel a launch in a case like that, or at least delay it until they got out of the area. And... Um, I asked him if he had ever told his wife. He said no. I asked him, did he ever, um, you know, uh, do anything else about it? Uh, and uh, he said he was, he was just part of the decision-making process if they were around. Um, at any rate, uh, after I went home from my uncle's place that night, I called him about two weeks later. I was very disturbed with what I heard. And uh he said that uh, we did ask him, are they friendly or hostile? He said, you don't know what your neighbor's thinking. So we had a friendly, uh, we had a neighbor one time. We'd say hello. They'd say hello. The guy was robbing houses in the neighborhood. And he even was caught on you know, my balcony trying to look at my wife when she was changing her clothes. So this guy was not a good guy. He was actually evicted. But uh, in terms of the aliens, how he felt about it, that's what he said. So um, I called him two weeks later, and I asked him, about, uh, you know, Stan, his nephew, and um, said he said, it says some strange things. And he said, well, Stan's got a great sense of humor. And I said to him, well, uh, he said to me, what, what did he say? And I told him, he called me, and it's the first time he ever cursed in his life, he called me a G-damn liar. And I said, your son heard it. So why don't you call him in Philadelphia? And uh, my uncle was the director of the Frankfurt Arsenal's electronic uh, electronics branch. He was a pretty good scientist. He called his son, and, and he told his son, basically, back off, you might get killed. Don't do anything with, with this. And I, I called him back, and he said, you heard nothing. If you think you heard something, you may be dead. 
well, right before he died, my family, we were on active duty in California. We got off active duty. We went around the world. And the last stop was at my uncle's. And he had been uh, very angry for years over the incident. But when I walked in that night, I walked in with... uh, an album in my hands, and it was all pictures of places we had been. He got out his album, and I thought he was going to, you know, start showing us um, my father and him as kids together and everything. And no, he just had one thing to show me, which was the uh, proceedings from the third, I think it was the Third International Congress, uh, no, Third International uh, Terror Codes, uh, not, sorry, not Terror Codes, Third International Society of Non-Destructive Testing. And he opened it to the proceedings in it, uh, one page of the proceedings. And um, he said, I want you to see who was at this thing I went to. So I looked for his name. I saw it. It was in Tokyo and Osaka in, in March 1960. I said, yeah, I remember you going. We lived on the same street. He said, I want you to see who was there. I start to go down the list, and I, I noticed the people that made our atomic bomb were there. And a lot of other great scientists were there. But I was skipping. He said, no, you have to read every name. So I went down and I started reading every name. And there were three people from the Soviet Union. And there was one from Poland. And the rest were pretty much all our top top scientists. And there were maybe 15 other countries that were represented at this thing. So I said, um, you know, you guys were all doing non-destructive testing. That means if we capture a Russian MiG or a radar, we take it apart to find out how it works and how to defeat it. If they capture ours, they're doing the same thing with ours. You're all at the same meeting? Did you have a common enemy that you were, you know, working against or working together with in secret? And he said, absolutely, yes. I said, are you describing UFOs? And he said, yes. So he gave me the list. And, folks, I'm here to tell you it's on my website. So my website is um, RothmanMarsResearch.com, and uh, I could get way into the story, and I may later on. I'm, I'm just telling you that if you go there and you look for Eugene Rothman, you'll see an alphabetical list of uh, people that were at this conference. And you'll see him there, and you'll also see the names and the places where they worked of the Russians that were there. And one Paul, the Polish at the time, were our enemies. They were in Warsaw Pact, which is Russia, Russia's a, a group of uh, countries. Well, we've been working with Russia very closely on this whole AP situation for a long ways back. And the proof of our working together, people were asking for it when they heard about the Grisha's announcement about the back engineering, this stuff. He said for 80 years, the document on my, my website is from March 1960. So that's uh, <laughs> it's a little bit more than that, I guess. Uh, no, not close to that quite. It's uh, what are we, 40 and 23, so 63 years. So 63 of the 80 years, at least. You have got proof that this was going on. Um, now, one thing to have proof and have stories is another thing when we talk about uh, aliens to say, well, where are they? I don't know for sure that she's one, but she's suspect. And for very, very good reasons, I have my very good friend here tonight. And uh, Rebecca and I have been friends for 11 years. She's been over to our place here in Cape Canaveral once or twice. I can't remember whether it was the second time or not, but at least once, not too long ago. And um, for 11 years, I've been hearing 
her stories about how many times that she was contacted or taken by ETs, including reptilians, greys, tall oranges, uh, Nordics. Uh, she can tell you the rest. And the story stayed that way for 11 years. I found her in the Torah Codes. And there are matrices on the main article that we're discussing tonight, which is about contact and disclosure on the Rothman Mars, uh, I'm sorry, Rothman, well, yeah, MarsResearch.com site. There'll be a whole page when you get there uh, with uh, black background of articles. This will be like on the bottom line of articles. You'll find this contact and disclosure article. And I have had contact with one other person that I know is an ET, almost for certain. But uh, Rebecca's high up there. But she's she's sensitive about how things are phrased. So she hasn't fully come out before. She has a book coming out, and I'll let her tell you about that. But I'm two minutes into what I plan on being her time. So, Rebecca, it's all yours. <laughs> tell us about yourself. Hey, that was a beautiful introduction. I want to... Thank you for having uh, Barry and I on your show tonight, gentlemen. It's and uh, hello to all your listeners. My back. I'm going to start with just a really brief, and then I want to give a statement. Hopefully, it will be within within that 10 to 15 minutes. And my background was on the professional music computer stage. I'm a songwriter for causes, organizations, church, and Christian music. I left my professional career. I was a caregiver for my mother for 28 years. And then I met my husband, and I'm married, and I have a wonderful life. I met Barry because I went online, and I found him, and I had been saying the prayer, I want to meet a man who knows the Torah code. And I get on there, and I find him, and it was Barry. And that started our friendship. We were, we were looking at a book. Um, he had reviewed it, and I had just finished reading it, The Gravitational Manipulation of Dome Craft, because there were some similarities. I like the science and the dats and data, uh, despite the fact I'm a creative, many people do not expect that from, <laughs> from the creative individual. My purpose for speaking out again is to tell my story, or whatever questions you want to ask, to educate, encourage others to speak and write. We are the disclosure. Every person who comes forward is a part of the disclosure. What Barry and I want to do is to go a step further we need discussions of discernment and solutions and offer plans. And when you offer a plan, it requires a meeting. And we need to have an earthly meeting and an orbit above the earth separately. So Barry phoned and asked me to contact the ZETs of my life and to set up a meeting if this could be done. Now, there have been some good things. And what I have gleaned from the past couple of weeks, that they're glad we're asking and that they are in the process of discussions themselves, the various species. Because how are they going to deal with our planet in such a warlike condition as we are? And so the question is, how do we distinguish good and bad people and good and bad ETs? Well, it requires a number of things, intuitive skills, assessment of character, input, and the ETs that we've encountered that we believe are of a good, benevolent nature. And how do we distinguish a false flag? It requires knowing what a real craft produces upon the body and mind when you encounter it. Now, there's a magnetic pressure that you experience. It's a push and pull then you, so that you, the difference between a holograph and when you're experiencing an actual craft below you and the intuitive side of who is on the craft. You can usually pick that up. In regards to me, I can, I'm a human being who has intuitive abilities and a lifetime of contact 
and what I consider wonderful spiritual and paranormal experiences. The majority of everything's been positive, so I try to use discernment and judgment when sharing the darker side. Barry has asked me and challenged me to look at my life and experiences and ask other questions and possibilities. It doesn't always coincide with my theological background, but I am willing to ask the question. I'm willing to go there with Barry. And I've been asking questions since a child. My childhood contact up to 2004 was known as the friendly one. They prefer identification of titles. They do not like the word alien. They really prefer to, they are each a specific species unto their own, and they're different from the angelic realm. Now, that's based on my personal experience. That's just so I do that. I have had contact with a few of the species throughout my life and familiar only with the circular craft. I've spoken over the last 20 years in Florida and in the Edgar Casey Foundation, but for reasons right now, I just, just want to be called by my first name and resume really back again uh, after being away for a couple of years. So I'm fully aware of the responses. I don't know of all your listeners, but some Christians and atheists or non-believers or they're not going to want to deal with or talk about extraterrestrials. But I understand something. If you have never been to another country, seen another culture, language, you've never been in space, you've never experienced anything spiritual, it's understandable. If a person has been brought up to never ask questions, never ask what anything meant in history, never had a question on the Bible, they've been told everything's demonic, including the crafts and the ETs, I understand. But it's time to wake up. It's time to grow up. UFOs are, God is, let's get over it and let's move forward. I know that may sound a little hardcore, but that's where we need to be. So thousands of people are like me. They've had contact since childhood, whether they're followers of Christ or another faith, they're Jewish, whether they believe in just being spiritual. Thousands of people are just like me. From my personal experiences, I understand God's universe is full of galaxies, space, and I've seen it. It's occupied with technological craft beyond scope. The planets are inhabited with species. I believe and have observed it. God, we can't limit him. He's Alpha and Omega. Space isn't just a vacuum. It's alive. It's active. And his word backs it up. He created the heavens. He's above the heavens. He's underneath the earth. He laid the foundations. He rides on the heavens. He named the stars. And he created the visible and the invisible. And so one of the concerns Barry and I have in our purpose of being here is the hope that if a more open meeting can take place for better plans of disclosure, that betting would be needed to know for certainty that those attending, human, ET, or hybrid, are going to be beneficial for all concerned. So whoever, I'm, this is my call out tonight, whoever in the military and otherwise who have been and are now working with the benevolent ETs, they need to. They need to now move this forward and bring out disclosure on a global scale. Now, that's going to require, one, the proper president, an open media, a plan of education set down to the local level. Now, years ago, I submitted to our mayor a plan for our hometown, and it was placed in the office. As far as I know, it's still there, and I know the next mayor. And an interesting piece of info in the 92 edition of the Firefighter's Manual includes a section on UFOs. Now, on disclosure, the same goes for disclosure on our planet, because we have corruption, trafficking, satanic rituals, the cabal, history, agendas, organizations, and all the information and data 
and protocols regarding the shot, the nature, the plan, and the content need to be given to the public along with every every minute detail, detail and minutia of what's been taking place with the ETs and the crowd. From what I've seen from the releases of the UFO and ET and material and pictures since 2017 on, it's more of, oh, we don't know what that is. Let's put the world in fear. But we're circling back into the mode of national security and there's no education to the public. So if we, if we all look back to the hieroglyphics, the different cultures, the Asian cultures, the study of the Indian, Vamanas, the newspapers, the research of men and women, the books, the documents from the military, presidents, the recent releases from the Pentagon, the videos, the ATIP program, down to the normal person in the street. We all see that it, it's hidden, not re- re- you know, released to the general public because the media has maintained a consistent hold of non-disclosure, except for now. Now we're seeing the reports and the whistleblowers talking out. And as Barry just said, David Charles Bruch, the recent whistleblower from the Air Force Military Intelligence, spoke out. I encourage your listeners to go to debrief. It's the whole thing with, with Leslie Keene is on there and his pictures and all of the write-ups, the physical evidence of the craft and the bodies and the weapon systems built. And Colonel Phil Bailey, who did my foreword for me, before he passed in September, I'll rest his soul, he added into the forward, he said, Rebecca, I'll put it in before I go. Kelly Johnson, Lockheed Stunkworks lead designer that he worked with of the famous U-2 and SR-71 high-tech aircraft, personally told me we had help, meaning extraterrestrial alien assistance. And then he passed in September. And I, uh, what I, what would I like to see personally, me, Rebecca? Positive ET and angelic intervention to help the world reestablish order, educate the public to the enormous habitation within the universe, benefit from the technology, especially the healing and the cleaning up of our world. However, in order for it to occur, in my opinion, it requires every heart, every man and woman to change first because the God of this universe needs to change the indwelling soul of every human being. So I recently... Um, was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about politics and all of this, and I think that in a lot of people's minds, they see this, as I do, a dark spiritual force covering our planet. It's like oozing oil. Then it's filtered down through a malevolence. Not all species are bad, but we do have a malevolent ET race moving down into the culture, implemented by the elites, the cabal, the deep state, indoctrinating the public, so we stay dumbed down. We don't need it anymore. We need it lifted and gone. And so Dan and I, to get involved, and this is what I want to encourage your listeners, get involved in small steps, whether it's for ET disclosure or the political. Get involved in the election process, one. Share your material. Read, read. Go to Barry's site and read. Get a material, assist in staying. We've been helping people in their job with a mandate, sharing material to assist those who have taken the shot, who have injuries. We have incredible doctors here who have come up with, we have a NASA Beamer. We've got, uh, it's, it's so much stuff here. It's wonderful. We remain available for others. Stay involved in your synagogue, your church, and pray. My heart is with the military and the leaders for their strength and wisdom. In regards to UFO and ET issues, Dan and I 
participate in creative consciousness groups. We share with friends about UFO movies, videos, and we talk when the door opens in conversation. I'm almost I'm getting near the end. The other side of this is, let's keep it in mind, many of us are not read into full knowledge. I have friends in the agencies, and they've, and they've been very kind about saying, Rebecca, just, just keep things as close to the belt as you can about what you, whatever you worked on and just say you gave your report to the right thing. So that's what I'm going to do. But the other side is if we're not read into full knowledge, nothing's completely known until we face an enemy firsthand and then we have the knowledge. Full knowledge is completely known until we cross over to our spiritual home base. But our understanding on this planet, in my opinion, is based on who and what we're reading and listening to. So we have to broaden it. We have to be willing to be open. We can bring everything to an end. We can break this bondage, we can, but remain in hope. We need to keep praying, keep talking, get involved, be active where you can serve. Politically, get active down to the local level. I was just listening. I was just called in to, to listen to a wonderful discussion with, with General Flynn just the other day with my husband. We, we have to get prepared economically, get yourself in order, in your house in order, get your food in order, get things in ready. So we have to ask for wisdom, discernment, and if you feel as I do, ask for angelic and ET assistance. We don't fail if we ask, if we try. We fail if we don't ask and don't try. Now, there are hundreds of resources and books and speakers. I'm just going to give a few here quickly. E.T., historically, go to Jim Mars, great author. He has passed. E.T. Overview, look at the Hidden Hand video. E.T. Data and Research, Kathleen Martin, Denise Stoner, and Stanton Friedman. Stanton has passed. Make a report. Go to MUFON, the other organizations. My, one of my closest friends, Terry Ling, he, she heads up the membership. Spiritual and Disclosure, Kevin Briggs. Crop Circle, oh, my gosh, Freddie DeSilva. Scientist, Mickey Okeku. Article, Barry Rothman. Politically, I'm just going to make a suggestion. Purchase 107 book, Kid by the Side of the Road. And now, my future book's going to hopefully be out by the end of the year. It's titled Quantum Windows and Dimensions, A Christian Woman's Journey of Faith and ET Contact. I could go through the list, the astronomer, the uh, my colonel, the, the editor, uh, Kathleen Martin, she, you already, you already, many people will know her, the astronomer, Mark Antonio. Um, therefore, so here's my question. Is therefore, if the ETs have helped technologically, then we have a good reason, a good reason to ask for help now. But we need to participate. Thank you for giving me this time. Bless you and all your listeners out there. Bless the work of our hands as we journey on this path together. All of us are doing the best we can. And regarding while we're on the program, let's remember, the ETs have to make a decision that they want to help our race. We are warlike. We're divided. The ETs have tried in past, and I'm sure they're trying right now behind the scenes. The darker side of this current 3D existence that we're living in is suppressed. But thank God the dark cannot overcome the light. Thank you for for letting me speak. Oh, excellent. Wow. <laughs> that, I have one word to describe that, which was inspiring. <laughs> you know? And that may be an understatement. Um, I got lots to talk about, but I, I kind of like to hear from you guys over there, from 
Larry and Stuart, uh, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you right now. Well, the only question I would have for her right now is, does she under, uh, know Dr. Greer or about Dr. Greer and the Disclosure I, Project? I do. I am aware of it. Okay. Because he's done a That's tremendous it. amount of work along those lines, trying to get, you know, and he's had a lot of uh, expert witnesses coming forward. And, uh, gentlemen yeah. who helped him and who helped him. I, I did. I, but I'm not, I really am not going to talk about him, but I do know of him. I know of his disclosure project and I know very well the individual who worked with him for over 10 years and who opened the door for that to occur. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And I hope that he's moving forward with the best in mind. Um, and I'll just, I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Are you familiar with uh, Mr. Lear of uh, Learjet, uh, John Lear at all? Um, who I, worked I with Do- uh, Bob Lazar out there in Area 51. Familiar with him. I've seen videos on him, and I've read reports and what he's written, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of an interesting character. Larry, <laughs> what do you got for questions? Well, I was wondering if she knew of uh, Molt, uh, Linda Moulton Howe's research. Very much so. Very much so. And she has also recently been uh, dealing with people who have contacted her who are also doing disclosure and, and trying to open with groups. And, uh, and I, I, if you, are you familiar with Terry Cassidy of Project Camelot? Yes. Yes. Yes, well, she is a good friend. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting show, by the way, that they have. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know, uh, what would you say the ultimate goal of these uh, entities really are? These, uh, For the most part, how do we balance out what's evil entities and what's not evil uh, visitors. Let's put them. Let's call them visitors. Your question is exactly what I was stating at the top. Another good question, and I know Barry and I talk about this often. How do we distinguish the good and bad people, and how do we distinguish the good and bad ET? And the same thing. Use the same criteria. Use your ask if someone else knows them. Use your intuitive skills. Everyone has them. Assessment of character, if you know anything about the background of the ET or the person, input from others, and the personal encounters that you've had. There's, there's one thing that when we distinguish good and bad, we do the same thing here because we vet. We vet people. We vet them for programs. Um, <laughs> my husband was vetted by the colonel before he married me <laughs> in a good way. Comical way. I mean that in a very good way. But he did meet with him, and he asked him a lot of questions because he was he was very concerned. And until he until he met him, and he knew he was a good guy. Uh, so you're asking the questions that everybody has to do every single day when we meet people. You can you can feel it. You can see it. And if you don't know them, find out. But the ETs, um, if you read the data and read the books of a number of people who are out there, in all of their books. Uh, most of the, the Nordics, most of the Pleiadians, uh, the tall Goldens that I grew up with, um, my uncle, who could walk four inches off the ground, 
uh, and had the line of demarcation uh, set up with the tool in my garage when I was growing up. So uh, he, he he walked me into places, and uh, you. Um, it's such a, it's a question that demands a list of criteria that we all hold dear. Barry has his own criteria of how he judges things. Scientists go by data. I go by a list of things, not just the data on someone, but what I'm seeing and feeling. And I think also we have to remember that when you're standing, uh, a certain you have to have a certain number of feet away not only from people because of their their type of personality and their voices and how they come across, but you mm-hmm. also have to know ahead of time from someone who's knowledgeable how far to stand away from certain species. And I'm just going to say species or visitors if you want to say that. It's, it's all fine. I have found that the reptilian, you do need to be at least six feet away. Um, the other ones with me was the golden. I did not. Uh, the insectoids, it's a little little kind of scary, and uh, each one has a different language, but the the usual way you communicate is telepathically, but if the if a reptilian who is not of a good background or race, so he's not, because some of them are okay, that are hybrid, uh, you do need to watch out because, as I've shared with Barry, the telepathy can come in, can hit you, like a bat on the side of your head. It's that strong. Like like a noise. Think of it as a noise. I went mm-hmm. on far too long. I'm sorry. Well, I was just curious because I was wondering how the government or the people that are involved in this thing are um, finding out who's who or trying to sort out who's who and, and whether or not they're being you know, in a deception here. Uh, posing as friends when they really aren't. We have the same thing in espionage. And if you look yes. at the work and writings of, uh, that, of Whitaker Chambers uh, mm-hmm. and Buckley, M.S. Buckley, and, and going into the Reagan time and historically, you will find that the whistleblowers then, as are now, you've got them everywhere. The good ones coming out, trying to delineate, trying to expose we're doing the same thing now on a different level. Um, I can only go from where I am in hoping that as these people, such as David coming forward recently, will help the public delineate what is good and bad, because that's the educational project that has to be done, and that's going to require those in the military to step forward, step up, put your boots on, be a man, Get your butt out there and start training the people instead of leaving us behind. This is a little ridiculous. It's a little over the time now. And uh, that's I'm sorry, boy, if I sounded too strong. Oh, boy. So that's kind of where we need to be. When, I've got a couple of questions. Boy, all right. The 92 craft. I want, I'm sorry. The 92 craft. I could not stay by the see-through for more than 10 minutes. I did not know this. He had to tell me to leave. He was sweating. As a human being, I could not be next to the presence of, he was designed to fly the craft. There was a military man aboard learning how to fly, all that. So it's, we have to, we have to learn it, but it could be trained. We have to, we have to know. I'm still learning if I encounter the yeah, experience, but we should be trained. That's a part of the education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got a Rebecca, 
I'd like to cut it for just a second and then get your question. You didn't tell us what the 92 craft is. Are you talking about the craft with the hybrid human gray children on board? No, that was 92 was the episode uh, which was over, which is next to my home when I was caring for my mother. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now, and it's not in the book and it's not in the report within, within my book, but I will share it tonight. Uh, there were four boys across the street. The fourth one, Down syndrome, the other three, very intelligent. And they each went into, eventually, different parts. They were uh, One was in training every year at the... Um, the college that my father went to at Auburn, and he was in a program. They went in, one went into developments of the turbines, one went into electric engineering, another wanted to design spacecraft. And in 92, one of them was young, and he was aboard that craft in the surgical room. Now, I was allowed to go on board. I was walking around. Uh, the tall Goldens were there. The pilot was learning how to drive it. There were two small mechanicals beside the see-through that ran the craft. I got to see what what I call the engine room. Remember, I'm not as sophisticated in knowledge as Barry and scientists and physicists are. I can only go by what I'm able to handle. Um, and the the young boy who was in there, uh, I was not allowed in that room. And the the surgical room, I believe that they were watching over him, preparing him. For his future work, and I think that that it is possible that not not only my, not only myself but others have been I say embedded that's not the right word and planted sounds terrible, but doctored with um, genetic help to enhance our abilities to bring forth things when it's needed, not to be superhuman every day but to use our abilities when they're needed. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Larry, you okay. said you had a question. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions real quick. Um, uh, I, you know, and you'll get, you'll get to know me, Rebecca, if, if we have another show or what down the road, but I'm a little bit off the wall. I know I'm a strange individual. But uh, matter of fact, uh, Barry could probably list me as an ET in the long run. But, <laughs> I'm still but wondering. Besides that, I, I t- <laughs> Two questions I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, one was if you're familiar with any of the work of the Russian, and you can Google him, uh, he's Professor Ernst, E-R-N-S-T, Muldashev, M-U-L-D-A-S-H-E-V. Uh, he's a uh, really a genius eye doctor in Russia. I've, I've dealt with him, and, and Stuart knows about him. And a friend of mine, Klaus Dona from Geneva, put me in contact with him, and uh, this professor, he, he goes around the world looking at ET sites, if you will, and he actually went to Tibet. They prepared him uh, physically to go in underground where there was a lot of, uh, he called them uh, large alien-type individuals, and I know that's not a good word probably, but they had elongated skulls. They were, and he, he, he termed them as, they appeared to be in suspended animation of some type. There was a, a field, energy field, surrounding them underground. 
and they were not dead, but they weren't alive, and they were in a stasis of some kind and and preservation. And I wasn't aware whether you had ever heard of him or not. I have not heard of him, but I will verify what you just said in terms of being kept in stasis and and being underground. Uh, so that's. But I want to get into that because we want to give time for Barry to talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just got one more question, which is strange. And you know, uh, Barry, I believe put it up, posted it on his site, and I I think. Uh, Stuart did, too. I put the 2009 Star Trek uh, movie up. Uh, it's a, it's a, it was involved. It's a video, a trailer real quick, and it was involving a, a video of a craft, a very unusually shaped craft that was in the movie called a Romulan craft. The guy that was running it was uh, Nero, and in that it comes out of a wormhole. It would like it would come in and out of time, and, uh, you know, into the space-time of, of the uh, Star Trek people and fight them and et cetera. But my understanding is that, that you saw that, that 2009 Star Trek series, and, and especially that Romulan, as you want to call it, that craft. Uh, can you explain or will you explain what suddenly that brought to your memory? It It has to do with the the event that Barry so patient and I'm really giving him credit for this. Barry, you deserve it. Barry asked me to write out in detail everything about an event being aboard a very small craft which is a is a almost exact duplicate in Mission to Mars. The small one that Gary Sinise rides away with in. I I was in a craft like that, taken across from the two crafts that were housing ETs who were flying on one side, small grays, and they were tethering a craft of another. And Barry asked me to flesh that out. And, and so I'm going to summarize it very quickly. The What I saw and heard were small hybrid grays and hybrid mixed with our race and our race mixed with theirs and also the small grays themselves. They were running in, it was the most horrific event. I don't ever want to see it again. I know we have the same thing here on our planet, but it was horrifying. It was sad. And they were in trouble. They were frightened. They were running around. You could just sense their brains. They didn't know where they were. They were crowded into this small craft that was being tethered by the other one. And, of course, I asked a slew of questions as to why, why I was there, what they were doing. And, and they apologized for interfering with humanity. They, had, they now had their species that were being used. They were sorry. I didn't have, why were they contacting me? So I just kept asking questions. They said they are overrun and have been ruled by the reptilians. So I'll just get to the end of this whole thing. I asked why, and they said because the reptilians had uh, destroyed their planet with the shredder. I asked for the details of it. They sent it over, I mean telepathically. Uh, specs, my father was an architect, so I know what specs are. And I said, send them over telepathically, I'll draw it. So it. So that's why when I saw the movie and fell out of my chair, that thing was coming out of the portal, and what they gave me 
was very close to the shredder that they had shown me. That was his craft he was going, but this planet shredder, as Barry refers to it, is what I saw that was very close to it. So does that explain it all? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. One final question. I had one missing piece of the puzzle here from what you told me. The reason I I, I focus on this so much, which is that these um, hybrids were running around because they were informed that they were about to be, or some of them, would be eaten by the reptilians. So that's where I became very concerned when I heard the story the first time because I'm Jewish, and so when I hear about a sentient species that's going to be murdered in a horrendous way, I think back to the Holocaust, and I think that I would not want anybody you know, who knew that we, that our people were being sent on, you know, railroad cards to be to be slaughtered, to to just let it happen the same way. Um, you know, I was horrified with the idea that for all the aliens or ETs that are here, that uh, nobody, I guess, had the guts because of the power they're facing to to stop this from going on, and it's coming out of our backyard, and so. Uh, you know, if this is food for reptilians, or for not all of them, but for a lot of them, uh, I hate to have to change their diet, but if they're going to use our planet to grow, you know, essentially beings that are at least part human, uh, I'm very much for stopping that. And we have a Space Force, thank God, uh, as a result of what President uh, Trump gave us, and it is, I'm, I'm sure, involved with a lot of these different species. I want to make sure that it's on the right side morally. And that whatever whatever comes out of the at least the United States of America uh, is in accordance with basic morality as outlined in uh, in our Bible and our Torah. So that's that's uh, that's the other piece of the puzzle. Go ahead. Well, what I was curious about: Have you seen uh, the series Taken, and how close to the mark was it? If you saw it, Rebecca. Yes, I've seen it several times, and I do intend to watch it again because it's helpful. I don't totally relate to it, but I happen to know one of the people. He was a, He's still a friend, uh, Christopher, who took the data down and helped in the background for the film. And he uh, would be listening to stories, taking things down to help formulate the storyline that was developed. Interesting. I haven't. I, I was thinking of calling him up again the other day just to stay in touch and say hello. He had to really hide away for a number of years. Uh, retaliation does, don't, doesn't just happen to those who are in high positions who try to speak forward. Um, as we can read now and see, many people lost their lives trying to uncover the truth of this. As they're losing their lives uncovering the truth about the shot, political corruption, um, and Barry focused on a very – thank you, Barry, for bringing that up because we have that same thing on our planet. Uh, the trafficking, we have cannibalism, we have also – we have child sacrifice in the secret societies. All of these things mm-hmm. are real. And it's very it, – we know that, that, that through the work of those in the military, and out of the military and those who are working now in the Senate and Congress who know that they want to work for the benefit of humanity, they're trying hard to unveil these things and bring them. 
into the light. So all of us, that's what Barry and I are on for. We really want to, whoever is out there who might be listening, no matter how small you are, do your part. We don't have to hide anymore, but I understand, I do get it when someone does not want to speak out. Because uh, I'll say this, then I, Barry, you, you take over after this. Recently, I spoke with a good friend of mine, and she was in the uh, she was in one of the pharmaceuticals. I'm just going to put it like that. And mm-hmm. she had a friend. They got out. And when they got out, her friend started speaking. She was killed very quickly in 2020. Now, my friend made a decision to remain quiet, and, and I do not blame her for that or anyone else who doesn't speak out about what's happening in our country politically or with the ET issue. But at some point, as my friend said, we need to be behind the scenes doing your work, do your part. You don't have to be the guy, that, you don't have to be the captain up there, but get there and pull, come on, get on, get on the oars. Stand on the side. Come on, be a soldier. Be a person. Be a sailor. Do be a part somehow. Even if you just sit down and pass out the food, do your part. But if you have to hide, stay on the ship and hide. So I've, when uh, the recent death of one of the major scientists who was speaking out happened just a couple of weeks ago, he was uh, given something which took him out. Uh, very quickly mm-hmm. after his last interview, the interviewer died two weeks later from the shot he took, and he was taken out a couple of weeks later, surrounded by his family. I found out that the very person my friend had worked with, who lost her life, had worked with this doctor. And so I go, no, I'm not going to mention that. So I, I really go back to where we are, that Barry is outspoken, and he's helping me now to get back on the horse, start riding again, and, I mean, riding not just riding with my fingers, but get on the saddle. Mm-hmm. I ride western, <laughs> and I and I like to go, and I need to start again. And, uh, okay, I'm going to quit now. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right, so I, I guess I'm up now, uh, and uh, good timing over there. I mean, yeah, you're you're learning real fast. You really are. Um, I want to make it, uh, make it clear that Rebecca and I have a somewhat different approach to this whole topic, and um, she's helping me in a sense to, to see things her way, but I, I think I saw them pretty much before so a lot of the problems. But uh, Rebecca has always, uh, since I met her, been a very spiritual person. You know, originally I thought that she might be a, a half-Jewish and half-Christian half, <laughs> rather than maybe half us and half, a, half an ET race or something like that. But spiritually, ideologically, she seemed to come across that way. We had long discussions, and it became clear that she was, she was a, you know, the proper definition of the term, a, a Christian, in terms of uh, general philosophy, general theology. And there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I guess, I guess uh, uh, the Jews here can kind of look at Christians as our children in a sense because you, you took most of your Bible from us and, uh, and you spread a lot of the, uh, the good, the good uh, concepts around the world. On the other hand, um, well, I certainly, you know, am involved with religion very greatly, uh, especially with the Torah Code's matrices that I 
produce. I'll talk a little bit about that in, in, in a minute or two here. Um, I'm a, mil- a military man. Uh, I had 10 years in the U.S. Navy, and I had uh, 24 years in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserves, total about 15 years active duty of all that. I used to go back and forth between teaching science and active duty. If I could get the active for a few years, I took it, and if I couldn't, <laughs> I taught. Uh, you know, and I enjoyed teaching an awful lot. Uh, used to love coaching and run, running with my students and stuff like that, too. But um, I have a military approach to things. And so, yeah, I'm a little more focused on data uh, sometimes than she is. And, um, you know, uh, in terms of how uh, I really got into this uh, ET thing heavily, uh, I was approached from somebody uh, who said that he had been working at Fort Huachuca, which is an Army intelligence base for at least three years. And a uh, uh, fellow, uh, I've told the story before on the show, but for those that uh, don't remember it, whatever, please indulge me for a minute. A uh, guy met me at the Cape Canaveral, followed me to the Cape Canaveral Library. Uh, I didn't know he was following me. I went in, I dropped off a book. So it did not spend more than two minutes before finding a book called Slant by Greg Bear. It was about artificial intelligence and nanotechnology. My son had just finished a PhD in, in nanotechnology. So I got the book, checked it out, came outside where the parking lot had been empty on the right side as you come out of the building before. There was now a car parked two spaces away from mine, one space in between. And uh, once that one space in between was occupied by, by, occupied by a gentleman, we'll call him here Joseph Sapphire. Uh, Sapphire is the first four letters of his name in Hebrew, and then there's another letter. And uh, because he was obviously at a minimum a government agent of some sort, uh, I don't want to do anything to uh, blow his cover or anything like that. I get him in trouble. On the other hand, I don't, know. I don't want to take him off too much. But we started talking for a little while, and in a few minutes, you know, it became obvious to me that he was well familiar with my life, and that he had followed me there. And I, I didn't know why, of course. Uh, but then he started talking about artificial intelligence and nanotechnology. I had a book about that in my hand that I had just checked out. Uh, he was not in the library. I mean, he was outside waiting for me. And he knew the topic of the book. And he got into a discussion about it. And um, after a little while, um, things started to get a little bit rough. Uh, some of his questions were, were kind of, I thought they were outrageous in a sense, especially for somebody who's supposed to be a stranger. And uh, he seems to know not only about what's going on in my life, but what will go on, what will happen in my life. And um, it got to one point where he said to me, I know somebody like you, and the government came and took his computer, threatened to put child pornography on it, and he never owned the computer again after that in his life. And I took that as a direct threat, that this is what the government wanted to do to me. I let him know I was going to have no part of it that I would write about him extensively, which I've done. It's on, it's on my website with many matrices that pertain to what happened that day and beyond. And uh, Fort Huachuca is my number one fan source. Um, they can view on thousands of times in a day, sometimes. Uh, but they're always on every article that I put up. And 
to a lesser degree, so is the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense. But there are a lot of other intelligence uh, centers that would come to my site. And after a while, I said, look, I, I can identify all you, but so can the Russians and the Chinese that come to my site. Please just use a proxy. But with Fort Huachuca, if you want to help in any way, what I'm doing, and, and you know, after he had he basically threatened me, he got a lot friendlier. So I'll, I'll say that right now. He, the meeting ended on a far friendlier basis than it started off. But I said, just leave your IP address as it is. And that IP address always has a six before the first decimal point or the last digit. Uh, IP address is four sets of numbers. They can be up to three digits each. There's a decimal point in, in between each of the sets. And so they're there all the time. I'm sure they're also on my phone all the time. I'm sure that they follow every email. I'm sure I have no privacy, which is absolutely, for those who feel horrified, wonderful for me because it means that I'm first of all I'm primarily writing I'm primarily producing all the thousands of matrices that are on my website for purposes of helping US military intelligence I have 34 years in the service so uh, I'm sorry that I still love the US military and I love the Constitution I don't like the way some people are, are you know running going around the Constitution lately but that's what I that's that's me you know, and I'm 76 years old right now, and I'm not about to change my loyalty at this time. But where I see a need for improvement, I'm going to I'm going to call for it. So, uh, at any rate, uh, they left the IP address there, and I can see it many versions of it. But always, where when I go on and I look up that IP address, I'll see boom, there they are. And if I if I didn't see that, I would be wasting my time in doing all this writing to a great extent. I mean, I'm glad I'm reaching people like you, but I'm a military guy. I want to see the military do something good in terms of what America is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I'm coming from. So, um, you know, uh, the military is in close. Some of the things that I, I believe are happening under some of our bases are not good. And, uh, there is too much cooperation, from what I can see, between uh, our military forces and folks like the reptilians that we've spoken about tonight. And I don't want to see that happen. I know that I see some stories where the reptilians are about to leave our planet. You know, and there are other worlds that, are, that have representatives here. There's a so-called galactic uh, federation of worlds. And when I use the word federation, I think I should mention something else so you'll understand what goes on as you look at at the the various claims that are out there. Rebecca has tonight mentioned, or you have, Star Trek. And uh, she mentioned, uh, I think it was Mission to Mars. Uh, What's going on? (laughs) You go to the movies or when you tune one on TV if you don't want to go to a movie theater anymore. What's going on for a long time has been this that some of the most wonderful science fiction stories that are out there or the greatest films that are out there are not the result of some very productive uh, writer. It's the opposite. What's going on is they are being leaked uh, information or information is being leaked to them as to what's really going on. And they would take that information and they will move it over, you know, to a movie. So we're all entertained. (laughs) But it's a kind of soft disclosure that's going on. So now we have Space Force and uh, 
we're hearing about this global federation of worlds from uh, out there, you know, from uh, you know, from uh, all the writers. And I should mention, uh, on, and if you want to read about uh, the history of UFOs and stuff like that, I should not fail to mention Dr. Michael Sal. I don't agree with everything he writes, but he's got books on our space, secret space force that, that went on before and. Yeah, the whole history of uh, of uh, our military, along with uh, ETs, uh, fascinating reading. I should also mention a gift from the stars: extraterrestrial contacts and guide of the alien races by Elena Danen, who is supposed to be like uh, Rebecca, somebody who's telepathic and somebody who can receive pictures. Like she said, send the specs. Uh, just send it telepathically to her. The spe- the specs. Well, this book has got, I don't know, somewhere over 100 species that have been drawn by this woman. Uh, she's mentioned a lot by Sallow. And uh, she, sometimes she goes into uh, the nature of their society, you know, and all these different worlds. So it's, it's a marvelous read, even if you like just science fiction. You know, it's neat to see what a person could come up with. That, but uh, it's, it's not perfect, I don't think. I don't expect it would be, but it reads like, and uh, like a guidebook that was written in the future, it you know, allows us to see what's going on. I mentioned Torah codes. Let me come back and explain that for people who don't know. Uh, the first matrix on this uh, contact and disclosure article is one where the uh, access term, which is the first term that I looked up, is alien disclosure. So I put it up. I looked for that first because here I'm doing an article. So the computer... Uh, uses a soft uh, kind of software called uh, Code Finder, and it will start at skip one, which is just the way regular Hebrew is written, right to left, uh, minus one, so left to right, and go two, three, four, all the way up to a hundred, and uh, shouldn't go past one hundred and fifty-two thousand four hundred and three. Uh, if you take that number and you do the, you look in the reverse way for uh, to uh, what is it, 152,402, you get 304,805, which is the number of letters in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So it'll look for words that are that, ha- that are at an ELS, meaning equidistance letter sequence. So in this case, um, when it found, I believe this is the first time over here, yeah, it, it found alien disclosure at an ELS, there were 42,973 letters between each letter of alien uh, and that disclosure. Now, that's not that significant. If it was longer than it is, this is uh, only, what, seven letters over here, seven letters. Usually I like eight letters in the first, first term, so I put seven is okay, especially if it's uh, one of the first ELSs that we find of, of the term. Um, I look for this. Whatever the first term is, I don't, I don't count it normally as, as significant. But then I start looking for what are called a priori terms. And an a priori term is one that I named in advance. So since I'm doing a show now on disclosure, then, um, you know, uh, and I'm a major, major speaker in the show, I wanted to know if my name was here. And I don't want to see it anywhere. I want to see it at the same skip of 42,973 letters. So there is the shortest spelling of Rothman at that skip. 
And there's also a Barry at that skip. So we have Barry and we have Rothman. And um, then I look for, well, who's another guy, a big guy in disclosure? And we should here mention General Chaim Eshed, who's uh, 90 now, but he was the head of the Israeli space program for 30 years. He put 20 Israeli satellites in orbit. Mm-hmm. And uh, top, top space science guy in Israel. Uh, Eshed retired and he gave a, a little discussion or lecture to the Jerusalem Post. It was in Hebrew, but, I, but we have it translated. In which he said that, uh, A, the United States, yeah, it does work with aliens, and the United States shares a base with aliens on Mars underground. And I've heard other people say that for a long time, that we actually were at that far. And I've got different emotional feelings about that. Also, B, that Israel also works with ETs, and he worked with them out there in Israel. So he said, why am I telling you right now? Well, I, he said, I just retired. I had a very successful career, uh, well-respected as a professor. Everybody respects me. The Iranian newspaper, whatever it was, had a whole, a whole front-page coverage on high Meshed and the Israelis that, were, uh, that work with ETs. It was one reason Iran would not be too smart to attack Israel because Israel's technology is literally out of this world, which is why they have such an easy time shooting down just about every rocket that's fired at them. I mean, people talk about, oh, how horrible the Palestinians are shooting rockets. They should not shoot rockets in Israel. But the Israeli defenses are so good that when the Palestinians start shooting, you could just about, and some people probably do, go grab some hot dogs, make sure they're kosher, get some beer, go outside, sit down on on your lawn there, and watch the rockets get shot out of the sky. (laughs) Entertainment. That's the difference between the two sides. But in terms of where Israel gets some of the technology from, apparently a lot of that, like we got our space technology, a lot of it with uh, Warner von Braun that came over from doing the V2s in Nazi Germany. We got a lot of our systems from, um, from Nazis, and from, they were working with reptilians, also with Nordics. And the Israelis are getting it. I don't know what species that he was working with over there. But this is what he's saying. So Eshed... His last name is also at the same skip. So we have alien disclosure, Barry, Robin, and Eshet. And also the word alien appears another time on this matrix at the same skip. So they're all parallel to each other with no letters in between. There's another name on this matrix, Ibrahimi. And I've done shows on him before uh, with you guys. And Ibrahimi, Uh of course, uh, is living in Canada. Uh, there's a picture of them on, on the figure one. By the way, if you want to see all these figures, on my website, RothmanMarsResearch.com, the first page, you'll see a picture of me, my son, and my uncle who gave me the list of scientists that were back engineering Roswell. But at the bottom line over there, you're going to find, you know, this disclosure article. And if you go in there, you'll be able to see every picture that I'm talking about. And it's important that you, to do that because on this matrix to the side of it, to the right side, I have a picture of Craig Ibrahimi, who I am certain is an alien. There's no question in my mind there. And I also have damn good reason, and it's all on my site. There are a lot of articles about him. I have a year's worth of emails between me and this guy, so it's not a light investigation. I believe this is the guy who brought us COVID-19. 
And I'll tell you in terms of what he did when it got here, his only interest was in selling uh, the virus. I know that he composed one email to Pfizer drugs. He was working with Bill Gates. Uh, he also uh, was trying to sell it to Elon Musk. So these are the people he was reaching out to. Musk, I can place about seven or ten miles from, from Ibrahimi's house. First he told me he tried to sell it to Musk. Then he told me, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, but in the meantime, he had first, when he first told me about it, he sent me a newspaper clipping where Musk was in this next town to Sook, Canada. Um, and sure enough, you know, Musk was up there for over a day. He vanished. Nobody knows where he went. Where did he go? Craig Ibrahim, he claims to, to, uh, to have an alien embryo on uh, a meteorite. 27 pounds is one of the biggest meteorites, especially if it happens to be of Martian origin, which is possible. But he's got a meteorite on it. Now, in this picture, he's got a necklace on, and in the necklace, he says there is a meteorite. There's a picture of it uh, on figure two in this uh, article. Uh, but he wanted to sell it to Pfizer drugs so that they could, you know, back engineer from what the, the regular virus, the full virus was. So a piece of that was apparently taken out to make COVID-19. Where did he send this thing to? He sent it to, to Professor Chandra Wickramasinghe at the United Kingdom, in the United Kingdom, at the uh, uh, University of Buckingham. The story goes that Wickramasinghe, a Sri Lankan, then sent it to sample of the meteorite with, a, with, a, with what looked like an alien embryo on it, sent it to his home in Sri Lanka. Next thing makes no sense. He said it was stolen where he stored it. He swears he's storing it in the outhouse. Well, this guy, Wickramasinghe, is one of the world's leading virologists. And he's, he's got started, you know, courses on panspermia at universities all around the world. Panspermia is the idea that life can move from one planet to another, whether by an asteroid impact or it could be... Uh, uh, a comet, it could be the solar wind propels it, maybe a nuclear explosion sent our, the virus, uh, or the, it could be bacteria high in the atmosphere and it got blown away by the solar wind. So he's the expert on it in the whole world. And uh, so he's not going to store something like that in his outhouse. And sure enough, I discovered there was a lie there because I, I said to him, I said, well, the virus didn't come from Canada, as far as we know it. You know, everybody says it came from China. So I have to show how this virus got from Sook in Canada, in, the, in British Columbia, to China. Step one, ship it to England. Step two, from England to Sri Lanka, which has some universities and military academies there that are run by the Chinese army. Step three... I wondered, is there a publication, a common publication between with Ramasinghe and, um, and somebody in China that would have got access to it? The answer was yes. And the fellow's name is uh, Zhang Wenqiu, J-I-A-N-G-W-E-N-Q, Q, that's Q-U. So Q and Wigramasing, four months after they were shipped this meteorite sample, and my website has, and I guess it's in figure two, has the receipt for Craig shipping 
this thing to Wick Gramasing to get it started. So Wick Gramasing gives it to Q or sells it to Q or the Chinese army. And now we find four months after it's shipped into uh, England that the first article is, uh, appears in a, in a Chinese uh, publication, uh, first of several. Uh, he predicted that the next year, this was two, the thing was shipped to, uh, shipped to England on June 19th of 2018. So by 2019, December is when the, you know, the pandemic broke out. And he had predicted in 2018 it's coming next year. About 15 days before it actually started, he made another prediction with Q that you're going to get a pandemic. It's going to be like the Spanish flu, and it's going to have an extraterrestrial origin to it. So then the virus breaks out. Now, I can show, and I have in my website, a Chinese newspaper from, I think it was December 27, 2019. The pandemic, the outbreak is only a couple of weeks old in China. I don't know if the first person, maybe it was around the first person died from it, but or just before it. A Chinese newspaper is all in Chinese except for two words, Craig Ibrahimi. And there's a picture of his meteorite. So this was known about very early on to the Chinese press that there was such a finding. Now, Gramasing and Q try to say, well, yeah, it came from a meteorite that fell next year in 2000, October 2019 in northeastern China. But they never had a sample of that. They had no sample to work with. They had nothing to work with except for Craig's meteorite. So from there, you know, the Chinese had it in June of 2018. They had a year and a half to develop a vaccine. And uh, in terms of where money's coming from, hey, the U.S. will fund anything, right? So we got our good friend Fauci over there arranging for gain-of-function research, you know, in Wuhan. So... The thing got to, I can trace it into the Center for Disease, uh, for Infectious Disease Control in Zhenzhen, China. That's where uh, this Zhengguan Q worked. And from there to Wuhan, I guess it's probably about a six-hour train ride. So this is how it got into China. This is how it got started. And there was U.S. money in it also. So much corruption. This is the kind of thing, when I talk about disclosure, that I'm talking about. I'm talking about changing the system, finding the people who did everything from this to, well, the Kennedy assassination was likely motivated by the, the will to, to the desire to shut up Kennedy because Kennedy knew about all this, uh, all this Roswell stuff. Kennedy was with uh, Secretary Forrestal, Secretary of Defense. He was with Forrestal looking at alien technology in Germany right after the war ended. They were very close together. What happened to Forrestal? He was first, I think he was Secretary of the Navy or something. Then he was, then he was in charge of the Defense Department. Was first, I think, the Secretary of Defense. <clears throat> Forrestal wants to tell everybody, wants to do disclosure, and the other people who were in control, a bunch of people referred to by the title of the Jesse 12, decided, no, we can't have this. So they, they put him in a hospital, Walter Reed. Next thing you know, he's thrown out the window. Yeah. And they found him with no suicide note, you know, dead on the bottom over there. So you know, this was their record. This is the start of, of uh, the fight against people who want to release. You can see why, you know, I, I took a little talking. 
she did go along fairly well with it, but, she, you know, Rebecca was concerned and she should have right to be. And, uh, you know, I was originally threatened, although they kind of turned around on me. It's very funny how things went that day that I had that conversation with that, uh, I'll call him just, you know, Sapphire here, even though the name is a little little different. Uh, but just, again, for privacy. But uh, although he started out so hostile, there came a point where I gave him my calling, uh, my calling card. And it included the fact uh, that I do uh, Martian meteorology research, which is, that's been covered on the show many times before. It's a good part of my research, along with my son, uh, David Rothman. Dr. David Rothman uh, helps me with that a lot. We have a 1,200-page report about Martian meteorology. It's called Mars Correct um, Critique of All, All NASA Mars Weather Data. So I can see where we're covering up all kinds of things about Mars, and, yeah, it doesn't surprise me to find out there's a base there at all. So uh, anyway, uh, where's it going with this? Um, they, they, you know, they didn't want this stuff out. They don't want it out. It's dangerous to talk about. I think they're now with uh, with David guy. Now with his release, there's more and more pressure. Congress is having pressure that they want the truth about the UFOs. Now the Pentagon has released the, and years ago, the video of FA-18s giving chase to these uh, Tic Tac UFOs that go 500 miles an hour underwater. It's <laughs> going to do that. And, you know, many thousands of miles an hour in space. I think they even have the ability to, to reach the moon. And we've got video after video. And how, how often were we seeing? Not once in a blue moon. It was a year, I think it was 2005, I could be wrong about that, where these crafts were seen daily for a full year off the coast of Virginia by our F-A-18s. Mm -hmm. The military tries to tell you, uh, and they did then, oh, yes, they're real. You can no longer, no longer have to be afraid if you're a pilot to report what you're seeing, whether you're a military pilot, you're an airline pilot, you're not going to get fired if you report it. These things are real. But we don't know what caused them. Excuse me. Take a look at my mm -hmm. website. Go to the article on Levin, who came out with the uh, with the proof that there was life on the on the Viking one and Viking two, way back in 1976. <laughs> it was labeled release experiment, and my uncle Eugene. And you go through that list and realize that how much we were cooperating, and they were cooperating. Uh, <laughs> I mean, with the Russians, we have not gone all these years since 1960, and we don't know what 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 these things are. We know damn well, and we're working with people. And it's like, uh, you know, here I live, you know, right outside the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, I, was, I was hoping. I'm glad so far there's no launch of a rocket tonight. Why? Because my dog Einstein goes crazy every time a rocket goes up. The whole place shakes. For a long time, he wanted to go outside to see everything, to see what it was. Finally, I got him out for two launches ago of when we sent up, sent up people on the space launch system. And I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But whatever it was, it took, up, took them up there. Uh, we we watched it go up, and uh, he could see that went off the pad, the, the, the correct pad. Uh, he could see the rocket launch from the ground. 
and follow that bright light. After that, he was afraid. So he barks now, but he doesn't come outside with me. But a lot of times, usually we go right over here. When every time rocket goes off, we've got maybe fifteen or twenty people, you know, hanging over the rail from their apartments, watching the thing go up. It's a great place to live. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm kind of drifting around to give you an idea of what's going on and what the total picture is. But uh, Ibrahimi's on this matrix also. So in terms of alien disclosure, he is an alien. I'm certain about that. He talks about, you know, powers. He, he, he threatened, you know, in terms of the kinds of things he says, you heard a wonderful example of the best in, in ET tonight. Well, maybe, or at least people that might be. <laughs> I don't want to say she is for sure. But you heard her speak, and you draw your conclusions from, from that as to what's going on. Uh, let me see if I can get this one open over here. Uh, if you have little children in the room, I would suggest that they uh, be out of the room before I read this thing. Um, Craig got angry with me because for two months he wanted me to just help in the research. He invited me. He was going to pay for me to fly from Florida to uh, Vancouver, Canada, and examine the... Uh, supposedly alien embryo that he has. My first concern, I said to him on January 26th or the next day, whenever I answered, right up front, is I don't want to come out there if there's a chance I'm going to bring a pandemic back to Florida. And so I nailed it on day one. And sure enough, we got it. We got it. And I would not help him. And so... He sent me back the following lovely message here. Um, You've got to be one of the biggest dummy humans I ever came across. You took this shit and you're writing about in the telecast. My biotechnology. Uh, space, uh, uh, where is this? Uh, read this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can find it. This is on a, on a, a picture here. I have to actually... Draw up the text is too large for the text. Okay, here it is. Here's the message. Uh, wait a minute. Where'd you go? One second. Uh, a little bit more. Um, I think. Here it is. Yeah. You took the, you talked this S whatever, and you're writing about my biotechnology. Once again, you're dumb. You're spelled, it's spelled wrong, by the way. <laughs> you don't even know you're dealing with, and here's, they should be out of the room. Fucking real extraterrestrial self-made multimillionaires since teens, you idiot. If you looked into these eyes, I would eat your soul, puppet boy. Well, Craig, who's dumb? I got you so pissed off that you went outside to pose for a photograph. And when you pose for a photograph, and that's on the site, <laughs> it's in the article, uh, it's quite a remarkable photo. Number one, uh, he looks like on top a miniature Superman. He's really built. Bald. The bottom, his legs are short by about a, the length of a human head. I've checked and... Um, Unless something very strange is going on here with the camera. 
he's clearly out of normal uh, range for a human being. So that's one. Uh, of course, he claims to be wearing an alien embryo around his neck, too. Number three, there's a symbol on his uniform-type top, and it has a triangle and three circles inside. Now, Elena Danen, in her book with the alien races, has got a picture of uh, two people, a man and a woman, wearing a uniform almost identical. And they happen to have the triangle on there, and it happens to have the three circles inside. You can see what it looks like really is three planets that were drawn out on the thing. It's not sharp enough to see that. But it's pretty much the same exact picture that is one of what is on Craig's chest. So where is he from? Well, if that's based on reality, if he's wearing a real military uniform, if he's that dumb to appear in a military uniform before a military guy of 34 years. <laughs> um, according to Dana, the planet is Altair 4. That gets a bit of a laugh from me. And the reason it gets a laugh, and I realize we're almost done right now, but I'll, I'll finish with this. There's plenty to talk about always in the future. If the military doesn't come after me, or somebody doesn't come after me for this. Uh, the movie Forbidden Planet was that, out, I think, around 1955. One of my favorite yep. pictures is the movie. Yep. And uh, the action was set on the planet Altair 4. Altair is a star 16 light years from Earth, and 4 would be the fourth planet out from the star. So there is such a planet, a world as what she has in her book, and it has the symbol crazy enough on the chest. In terms of how it affected me, I like the name. I loved the movie as a kid. It's one of my favorite movies. You know, so when I had a son, my older son, his name is Robert Altair Rothman. And the Altair, of course, you know, from the movie. The Robert, there was a, a robot in the movie, and they called him Robbie the Robot. So yep. the, the short name or nickname for Robert is a lot of times Robbie. So we had Robbie Altair, my son's name. Now I see it's actually an alien out, out there someplace running around in Canada. Uh, after he got, he was so threatening at first. And by the way, also his license tag number showing on this, uh, this uh, tag yeah, on this picture. He's driving. A, he drives a very nice Porsche. So in terms of what he's given, he also has another quote. When he's talking to Rick Ramasing, I accuse Rick Ramasing of having stolen the uh, the sample from Craig, and, and then claimed it was stolen by somebody else. Not he's in conjunction with uh, Jang Wen Q. And Craig wrote back in, the, in a threatening letter to Rick Ramasing email. I have a copy of it. I am far from human. So in terms of things, there's no clue, no question there as to what's going on with this character. Uh, I spoke to him last in September of last year, and at that time uh, he was trying to make up things and, and get back. He still wanted my help on, on research on the, the meteorite, and I, you know, this, by this time there are millions already dead uh, from COVID-19 out there, so... Uh, at any rate, we we spoke a little bit less uh, less about that, and uh, you know he wanted to help me, but I'm you know, not going to not going to agree with it at that time. So things uh, he did say, and I wondered. I, I had when I when I was writing, and I knew Fort Wachuk was on the line, which they always are. I said to them, "Please, you're a, you're a military base, an intelligence agency, you know, a base out there. You have got to have at least one Canadian liaison officer present." Please tell him to look into Craig, you know, and 
stop them. If you can get a sample, some extent, it's meteorite, whatever, whatever you can do. But be aware that this guy is up there. Mm-hmm. And um, when I spoke to Craig in September last year, the last thing he told me was that when he drives around town now, although he was a big, rich dude that was very popular and so forth before, uh, the cops stop him every time with Royal Canadian Mounted Police or whatever you call them up there. <laughs> uh, I, I asked him if he wanted to come down here to Cape Canaveral. And last thing I'm going to say is that he said he didn't think the Canadians would let him back in the country if he if he were to go. So he's afraid he's got a wife back there, got a family. So he doesn't want to leave Canada right now. So uh, this this picture of him also has the uh, form to ship the media right there. I'm done. But okay. I do want to thank you know Rebecca for coming tonight, and all and you guys for hosting us. Yep. Uh, is Rebecca still with us? Yes, right here, and I want well, to thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, Larry, I'm sure you, you're still with us, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Rebecca was going to finish with something. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to what Barry was talking about when I saw and read the article of this particular person, and I saw the form of the embryo. I have that in my book in a photograph. Barry knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about what he said, and I, it was shocking to see it. And so it's extremely similar, and I don't know what that means, uh, but I just wanted to verify that, and I wanted to thank Barry for his work and his friendship and for both of you, and just to, again, reiterate uh, for everyone to get involved to the best of their ability and not to be afraid and do what they can and get active politically and ET disclosure-wise and pray for our country, for one another, and bless the work of both of you gentlemen who host this show. Thank you so much. Okay. we got 10 seconds. So anyway, thank you, Rebecca, for coming on. Thanks, Barry, for coming on, and thanks, Larry. We'll see you all later on, I guess. Anyway, take care, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.